oh my, oh my. Good morning, friends. It's so good to see you. By the way, how many of you kind of enjoyed that golden oldie that we just sang just now? Wasn't that fun? I enjoyed that. And so good to hear your voices. And for those of you at home, even though we couldn't hear you, we're so glad to be with you. And, uh, you know, you just need to know that although some of us cannot get together because of social distance issues, maybe health, uh, your personal health or the health of a loved one, someone that you're caring for, or maybe you're in a higher risk job and you're just concerned about giving it to someone else, whatever the reason is, we just want you to know that God is with you there as he is here with us. Our God is not constrained by space or time, but he can meet us in every place, every home, which is really, really good news. Because even when someone else doesn't know what you're going through, God is already with you, and he will go through it with you. That's good news, isn't it, family? So today, I'm going to ask you, we're going to jump into the fifth uh, teaching or part in this collection of talks called Take the Land. We're going to get into it in just a moment, but if you want, go ahead and turn to Exodus chapter 23. Exodus 23 will be there in a moment. We're going to start there and then we'll jump over to Joshua, but we'll begin in Exodus 23. While you're turning there, uh, I have been credibly informed that today is a somewhat significant day for those who enjoy the sport of football. Now, I'm not talking about soccer, because in America we call it soccer, like all God-fearing good people do. But when I say football, I'm talking about the game, the sport that uses that weird-shaped ball, and people hit each other with their heads, and men grunt, women cheer. It's just a great game. And so today is Super Bowl, what number is it again this year? 55. That's right. Good job. So we're going to be celebrating that. Some of you will be gathering with friends. Some of you will be by yourselves. But a lot of you will be watching the game. Just every year, I always want to do this. I'm always curious. Um, Just a show of hands. How many of you are pulling for the Kansas City Chiefs? How many hands? Let's see. Okay, this is really fun. This side more than any. Okay, here we go. How many of you are for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers? Anyone? We we got a few. Now, Now, here's the real question. How many of you didn't even know who was playing in the Super Bowl this year? Oh, this is awesome. This is awesome. At home in the chat, will you just put in who you're going for? Or maybe you're not going for anyone. Or maybe, maybe you're like me. You don't really care who's playing. You're voting for, you're going for, like every year, this is what I do. I don't care who's playing. I just want to know, are the commercials going to be any good this year? How many of you are interested more in the commercials than the game? Any of you? And then some of you are like, I just don't care. I'm I'm not even going to watch anything. But today is a day to celebrate. Here's, Here's something I just want to say to you. This is free of charge. Don't let your praise and worship and celebration of the one who created you, saved you, loves you, who died for you, who rose for you, who lives for you, don't let your praise of Jesus be less than your praise for a team this afternoon, okay? And in fact, let me just expand that for those of you saying, well, that's not a problem. I don't like any of the teams that are playing. Don't let anything, anything, anything receive more praise than Jesus Christ because nothing is worthy of your praise to the level that Christ Jesus is worthy of your praise. And so today we're going to talk about something that I believe will will help so many of you as you are stepping into the space that God is calling you this year as you take land. And so if you will, let's begin by looking at this Old Testament passage in Exodus chapter 23. It begins in verse 28 with these words. God speaking, he says, I will send the hornet... 
ahead of you. Now, now, now God's talking to Moses at this time, but he's telling Moses that when God brings his people into the promised land, he will, in advance of Israel's work, he will use various methods to bring about the taking of the lands. He says, I will send the hornet ahead of you and drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, and the Hittites out of your way. But, key phrase, I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals too numerous for you. Rather, notice this, little by little. Everyone say, little by little. Ready? Little by little. Rather, little by little, I will drive them out before you. You, until you have increased enough to take possession of the land, I will establish your borders from the Red Sea to the Sea of the Philistines and from the desert to the river. I will hand over to you the people who live in the land and you will drive them out before you. Now listen, don't make a covenant with them or their gods. Do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. This is God's word. Today, in our fifth part of this teaching on Take the Land, the title is simply this Little by Little. Little by Little. Let's bow and pray. Father, as we come into this moment, we ask you to give us insight, even if it's simply a little by little. Give us vision for the future. Give us eyes to see what you would want to do through our lives and through this church in this city. And we pray that as we gain the vision you have for us, that we will begin to take little by little steps so that, so that what you envision will take place in this place today. We ask this in Jesus' name and all those who agreed said, amen. So like many of you, One of the things that my parents did, we had different rituals or traditions growing up. We would do different things. So, for instance, we just came through Christmas. Our family has a psychosis around Christmas, all the traditions. Christmas Eve, we always um, eat oranges. You say, why do we eat oranges? Well, because uh, we also want to hand out or give oranges to the reindeers that night. So we'll eat oranges and we'll set out Oranges for the reindeer. We have cookies. We have milk for Santa Claus. We will read Twas the Night Before Christmas. And then we will read the Luke 2 account of Jesus' birth. We have a lot of traditions as a family. Uh, We have other traditions. We have birthday traditions. We have family mealtime traditions. We have Saturday traditions. We have Sunday traditions. In fact, I remember growing up, one of the traditions we had on Sunday was that we would, uh, for a while, and I hated it, I absolutely hated it, but there was a season that my parents became very convicted that we needed to Sabbath on Sunday. And their understanding of Sabbath was basically this. Here it is. Their understanding of Sabbath was, if it is fun, we don't get to do it. And so I remember for a season, every Sunday, I hated it because we'd get home and it was just like, just chill. It's like, well, can I watch TV? Nope, can't do that. Um, can I go outside and play with my friends? No, nope, can't do that. And I'm so glad they got past that, and so then we could have fun again. But there was one tradition. There was one tradition that I remember, and, and, and to this day I can still go and I can see the tradition in living color because every year my dad would take the four of us kids. I'm one of four. I have three sisters. Pray for me. It was a tough childhood. Uh, all that estrogen in the house was rough. 
you hear of the Super Bowl, we had the Estradome, it was just, anyway, so, so, I, me and my, don't, don't email me, I'm joking, but, so my sisters and myself, dad would line us up, and there was a door, their bedroom door, and every year my dad would have a stand, and he would mark the height from that past year for each of the four siblings. How many of you uh, mark the height of your kids somewhere, or, or any of you do that, maybe? And it was always an interesting sort of fun thing because you'd go and you'd get marked on the door. And it was incredible because you kind of look back and you go, wow, I I grew this year. And, and, And it would be different for each of us. But you'd look and you'd see the mark of growth. But here's the thing about growth. It is so gradual and often so imperceptible that you don't even notice it unless you go back and look where you came from. Are you following me? You, you need something to look at to say, I, I did grow. Now, maybe it wasn't very much, but God, by his grace and power, grew me in an area. I took land in a space. Are you following where we're going this morning? Here's why this is so important. A lot of us think of growth, especially spiritual growth, as being these quantum leaps, these massive movements, when the reality is they are often very little by little moments that take us from where we were to where we are to where we will be. And if you miss this, hear me now, if you miss this, when we talk about taking land, what may happen for some of us is you'll become discouraged, you become frustrated, And maybe, and I pray to God this doesn't happen, for some of you, you will even give up because you don't see the growth because you are looking with the wrong sort of measuring stick. Most of us, because we live in a microwave world, want microwave Christianity, but that's the wrong measuring tool for growth. And so in this text, what we see is God tells the nation of Israel that I, He, will bring them into the land, but it is going to be little by little. I love the phrase that I've heard from a number of people, whether it's Bill Gates or uh, John Maxwell or Craig Rochelle. They all say about the same thing, but I love this phrase. Most people overestimate what they can do in one year, but underestimate what they can do in ten years. Most people have bigger visions for one year than they can accomplish, but they don't realize how much they can do in ten years. Or 20 years with little by little steps. So God says, I'm going to drive out the nations before you. I'm going to bring you into a good space, but it will be little by little. It won't just happen in one year. And so then the book of Joshua is the chronicle of Israel progressively, slowly taking land over a course of not one month, 10 months, one year, or 10 years, but many years. In fact, what I love about it, is it mimics and mirrors the spiritual life of every person. Here's what I mean by this. Go ahead and put this up. This is the map of Canaan. This is where they were coming in. Now, Israel is on the east side of the Jordan River. The Jordan River, you have the Sea of Galilee up here. By the way, when Jesus comes along, he does his ministry primarily up here, but he'll come down to, uh, to, Israel, or to uh, Jerusalem down here. But this is the Sea of Galilee. This is the Dead Sea also known as the Salt Sea, but they come up and they come from south and they camp right here. This is where Israel began. Now, here's what's interesting. I want you to see, we're going to see both a physical movement, but it is also a spiritual movement as well. It's going to be what you and I go through. Because in Genesis chapter 3, hear me now, in Genesis chapter 3, when the first man and woman sinned, they were expelled from the Garden of Eden. And there's this phrase, they went east. 
In fact, throughout the book of Genesis, when people go further from God, it says that they went east. They are going further out into the wilderness. So Israel now comes from the east, and they're going to go in which direction? Are they going to continue going east or west, church? They're going to go west. And so Joshua chapter 1 and chapter 2, God comes to the nation of Israel and he says, I will be with you. Do not be afraid. See, many of us, before you meet God, you recognize and you begin to sense something is wrong and you can't do it alone. Isn't that where many of us found ourselves? And that was the moment for many of us that we began to explore what does it mean to follow God? What does it mean to trust in someone greater than ourselves? And then there comes this moment, so chapter 3 through 5, Israel then moves from here, and they cross over the Jordan River. By the way, the moment that you say yes to Jesus, the moment that you go from being in the wilderness, you cross over, and we mark that through baptism, don't we? You go through the river, and the very first place that they arrive is this place called Gilgal. Everybody say Gilgal. Gilgal sounds like the Hebrew word roll. Roll? What does that have to do? Well, in chapter 5, Israel goes into the city that they then named Gilgal because in that city, they are circumcised. We won't talk about that today. If you have questions, kids, go ask mom and dad. They'll be happy to tell you all about circumcision. But they are circumcised, and the Lord says in chapter 5 of Joshua, I have now rolled away the reproach, the sadness the shame of your time as slaves in Egypt. As we come through the waters of baptism, as we meet Jesus Christ, he rolls away the reproach, the regret, the shame of all of our sin, doesn't he? But then, but then, hear me now, hear me now. God doesn't simply leave us on that side. See, a lot of us have been saved, but we don't realize that God has not done this yet. We think, I got wet in the water, God brought out my sin, he took it, but now I'm done. Right? Wrong. See, God doesn't simply want to save us from our sins, he now wants to change us to look like Jesus Christ. And that is what the entire next section is about. And so progressively, they begin to take land. They take Jericho and Ai in the next chapter. Go ahead and put this up. They take Jericho and Ai. So you'll see in your life, God begins to pull out and take the different strongholds of your life. He begins to show you the areas that have controlled you, the areas that have dictated what you do and how you live. And God begins to remove those from their lives. And Israel then cuts a swath across the center. And then they begin a southern campaign. And over the next few chapters, chapter 9 and 10 in particular, they begin to do battle against the southern nations, taking land one after the other after the other. God opens up victory after victory. And then, and then, and then, he says, we've got to go north. But this doesn't happen overnight because in chapter 13 of Joshua, it says this. The Lord said to Joshua, by the way, the first verse says that Joshua's really, really old already. So by this point, Joshua is much, much older. They've been at this for a while. And the Lord says to Joshua, you are very old. By the way, don't you love how God doesn't mince words? You're old. And there is still very large areas of land to be taken. Here's what I want you to hear. You will never outgrow God's call to take new land. You are never too old to take new land. Friend, your retirement years are not years to retire from the mission of God. 
It is the years now you can invest without some of the other responsibilities. And so he says, it's time. We're not done. We're going to continue to take land. And so then they begin moving north. And from chapter 11 through 22, they begin to take the northern sections. And they go back east. And they take land. The 12 tribes begin to receive their land. But listen, listen. It's not over even at the end of 22 because there are a lot of skirmishes still be had. Notice that Philistia is still needing to be taken. There are places, Hebron, if you read chapter, I believe, 14, there's a man named Caleb who is 85 years old. And he says, God promised me that land. Give it to me. I'm going to go take it. Yeah, but they're big. They're, they're massive enemies. He says, I am just as strong today as I was when I was 40, bucko. Don't believe me? Let's fight. And I love this because even when, even when it looks like there's nothing more to do, God says, no, 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 no. There's still more land to take. This is the spiritual process for every Christian. Now, how long did all this take? Was it a week? A month? No, no, this took about 20 to 30 years. What am I telling you? God said, I will give you the land, but friend, it will be little by little. You need to measure growth by God's measuring stick and not by the microwave moment of this world. Otherwise, you will become discouraged and defeated. So what does it look like for us to take the land little by little? Well, he says two things in this text. In Exodus 23, he says, number one, drive out the bad. Drive out the bad. Little by little, growth always entails driving out the bad. You say, what does that mean? Well, look at this verse. He says, you will drive them out. God says to Israel, you will have an active role in God's work. Now, are you the only ones working? No. This is a divine partnership because just before this, God himself says that he will drive out the enemies. But then he says, he will, and then you will as well. So who's doing it? Is it God or is it you? The answer, yes. You are a part of a divine process to drive out what is bad, what is evil. And here's why this is so important, why you cannot take this lightly, friends, is what he says in this next phrase. Do not let them, who's them? This is anything that's evil or bad. Specifically, he's talking about the Canaanite nations. By the way, the Canaanite nations, because they are young years, I won't get too detailed. Here's what you need to know. Their worship practices included child sacrifice. There was a God called Molech to whom they worshiped and gave sacrifice. And it was considered appropriate to take your firstborn child, usually your son, And while living, strap him down to a burning hot iron or stone table and burn him alive. This was the worship of the people that they were going in against. And he says, you cannot let them live where you are. You have to push them out, drive them out, because if you do not take over the evil influence, the, over, the evil influence will take you over. How many of us know of people who, because of the influences around them went the wrong way and now practice and participate in the things that once they would say they would never do. He says, do not let them live in your land or they will cause you to sin against me. Notice this, they will. It's not a question of if, it is an inevitability. Listen, Thanos isn't the only one who is inevitable. My young friends in the audience will get that. Sin is inevitable if you play with sin. He says, they will cause it. 
Because the worship of their gods will certainly be a snare to you. It's not an option. It's not a possibility. It's an inevitability. So the first thing he says is you have got to drive out the bad. You cannot play with what is wrong. Now, a question that always comes up when we talk about Joshua, and I told you we'd get here, is the question of how could a good God call for the wholesale extermination of thousands and thousands of people living in a particular place. And I know, friends, I have a couple right now that I could tell you who have walked away from the Christian faith because of this question. They read Joshua and they see it as a bloody book and they can't imagine a good God sanctioning this. So what are we to do with this? Well, the first thing I would tell you is God takes seriously the sin that is around us and in us. You understand that the cost, the price for sin being dealt with was death, correct? It was not my death or yours, but it is the death of one. His name is Jesus Christ. God takes very seriously sin. But hear me, God is also a God of grace, is he not? Let me just give you one thing. Write this down. In Genesis chapter 15, God, this is 400 plus years earlier, God shows up to a man named Abraham and he says this. I want you to see this. God, talking to Abraham about what will happen, what we're reading about right now, God tells Abraham this. He says, hey, Abraham, know for certain that in the future, for 400 years, your descendants will be strangers in a country not their own and that they will be enslaved and mistreated there. Where are they taught? What is God talking about right here, church? This is Egypt. God is giving... Uh, Abraham, sort of a prophecy. He is telling him that your descendants are going to be slaves in Egypt for a long time. But then he says, they're not going to stay slaves because your descendants will then come back here. Well, where's here? Abraham is in Canaan when God gives him this prophecy. So he's saying, the land that you're on right now, I'm going to bring your descendants out of slavery and they will come back here. But you say, but God, why? Why? Why do they have to go away for 400 years? Why do we have to experience mistreatment for so long? Why can't you just give us the land today? Here's why. For the sins of the Amorites, these are the Canaanites, has not yet reached its full measure. You say, what does that mean? What does that mean? Here's what it means. God is telling Abraham, I will let your descendants go through suffering in a cruel evil world for a lengthy period of time so that, notice this, I can give the Canaanites 400 years time to repent. Do you follow this? Now, he knows what they will do anyway, but he is still such a good God and a just God and a gracious God that he gives them time to turn around. How many of us are grateful that God gave us time to turn around? I want to be really clear here. We serve a God who is just, but a God who is gracious as well. By the way, you say 400 years. How long is that? Friends, that is the equivalent of time between today and when the first pilgrims landed at Plymouth Rock. That is the amount of time God says, I'm going to give them to turn around. It also means there's 400 years of horrific violence and mistreatment of other people during that time. But as Scripture says, God is not slow in keeping his promise as some of us consider slowness. But he waits because he doesn't want anyone to perish. The story of Joshua is a story of God's grace and God's justice. Hear me now, this is so important. 
Sometimes we think that when we sin, because there's not an immediate consequence, God isn't paying attention. The distance, though, between my sin and God's judgment, that gap is what we call grace. It is the season. It's the time to turn around. This means if you want to take land, little by little, it means that you push out what is dark, what is bad, what is evil, personally and in your family and in your community, that God's call for you and me, if we want to see new land taken, it has to include pushing, driving, getting rid of all that is evil. Otherwise, if you do not push out the evil influences, the evil influences will take you. This is the first thing. So, friend, I just want to ask you, What in your life do you need to push out? What darkness does God say you need to drive it out? Notice it's not just kind of let it go. He says you actively get rid of it. I know in a room this size and with our viewing audience as well that there are some, let me give you an example, there are some in here who you have invited something wicked into your life through the internet and God's word to you is not, hey, just, you know, you know, maybe just don't do it or, you know, Drive it out. Some in here are flirting with someone that you're not married to. Drive it out. Some in here and online, you have allowed the bitterness of what someone else has done to take root in your life and it is strangling you from the inside out and God's word says you drive it out. But you say, I don't have the ability to remember It is not only you, it is you and God in a divine partnership. So God, help me do this. Number one, if you want to take the land little by little, it begins by driving out the bad. But number two, and this is so important, you don't simply drive out the bad. You develop the good. You don't simply drive out and get rid of something. You develop the good. I love how God says, I'm going to give you land little by little, but I won't give it to you all at once because... If I gave you the whole land, it would become desolate and wild animals would come in and fill the space. See, here's the reality. You and I, if we push something out but don't replace it with something else, life will bring other things in to replace it for us, won't it? But it's only as you and I progressively push out and drive out what's wrong and then cultivate, develop what is good, that God says, oh, you have fully taken hold of that space. I will give you more land. This is, in fact, what he says in Joshua, or Exodus 23. It says, until you have, notice this, I'll give you more land, until you have increased enough to take possession of land. I will give you more as you increase with what you already have. See, for Josh Diggs, it is far easier to look for what I want and what I don't have instead of developing what God has already given me. Anyone else in here struggle with wanting to develop the land God hasn't yet given? It is so much easier to say, oh, if only I was at this point, then, then God, then I would be faithful with what you've given to me. (laughs) Then I would take steps. He says, no, 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 no. You work with what I've already given you. You invest in your marriage today, and I will give you the marriage that you dream of for tomorrow. You invest in the children you have today. You deal with the issues that are ahead. You work with them. You don't give up. You don't become an apathetic parent. You don't offload the responsibility to the church to raise your kids. You invest. You do what you can today, and I will give you more tomorrow as you prove your faithfulness today. By the way, I seem to recall another person making this point, don't you? 
Wasn't it Jesus who made the statement in Luke, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. Did you understand that God has land for you, but he is going to see if you are a good steward before he gives you more? Are you investing and working with what God has already given you? And if you are, if you are, here's the promise. Little by little, you'll begin to see God increase your land. So you have that hard conversation with that friend. And little by little, you'll see things change. You have that moment of clarity where you say, I'm not going to pursue this relationship anymore because it's not holy, it's not honoring. And little by little, God will change where you are. If you will lean into what God is doing, develop what he's already given you, little by little, he will give you more and more and more, but it will not happen overnight. It will happen over time. Little by little, you drive out the bad. You develop the good. And God's going to do amazing things. Friends, I I want to tell you why this is so important to me and why this is so important to you. See, God doesn't simply promise to give you individually more land. He is promising his church, of which Clear Creek is only a little part. We're not the whole church. You know that, right? God's church is a lot bigger than just those of us in this room. Isn't that good news, by the way, that you and I, we're not alone? We're sitting in a city full of Christ followers, and I'm so glad that we are. But God's church, he has big plans. He has big vision for his church because God's heart is to save all people. And not all people will choose God's salvation. We know that. But that's still God's heart, isn't it? I I want to say that again because I don't know if some of you are convinced of that. Do you believe that it is God's heart to save all people, church? That is his heart. More than anything else, his desire is that we would come to a saving relationship with him, that we would love him, we would cherish him, we would find beauty in him, that when we wake up in the morning, our hearts would be stirred to be around him, that we'd say yes to Jesus in all things. That is God's heart. The reason this is so important is because this isn't just about what you do personally. This is about what we do collectively as a church. We sit in one of the most churched cities in America. You know that. I joke with people, you can grab a rock, and if you throw it, you'll hit four or five steeples. A lot of churches. So then, friends, why is it that we still have equal number of drug issues in our city? And we have prostitution. Why is it then, friends, that we have physical abuse in homes? Why is it that we have children who do not have families, who spend years in the foster system and may never have a mom and a dad? Church, for you and me to take land, God's vision is not simply that I'll have a personal better marriage, but I will change and influence and better the marriages of other people in the city. It's not simply that you will have better children who are well-adjusted, who do great in school, who one day come to know Jesus Christ. Is that there will be other children in the city who are well-adjusted, who know they're loved, who do well and come to know Jesus Christ as Lord. God's vision is not just for you and me. His vision is little by little will take the land. So I just want to share with you something I'm so excited about. Our leadership team has been praying. We've been dreaming. What does the future look like? And I just want to take a moment and tell you why this is so important to us. See, here's where we live. Let me show you. This is our city. Or according to Google Maps, this is our city. And, and if you look real closely, right about here, go ahead and put this up, right about here 
is Clear Creek. I don't know if you can see the red dot, but that's where you are today, 5612 Hickson Pike. For a lot of us, this is our Gilgal. It's where we began our walk with Jesus, where we entered into relationship through baptism. It's a place where God rolled away the reproach of our past. But he doesn't want us just to sit here, does he? He has a bigger vision. And so over time, little by little, God began to do this. These little dots are you. These are the different homes represented in our church. This is where so many of us spend our time, our neighbors, our schools. Little by little, God has been doing something great, but I want to say to you this morning, I don't believe he's done yet. I believe that there's more land still to take. And if we expanded the map, you'd see people who live further out on either side, but this is just a representation of our church. Here's what I want you to know. Our vision, our vision, we've got a massive vision as a church. And I want to tell it to you this morning. This is our vision. Put this up on screen. Our vision, church, is to reach 10% of Chattanooga's unchurched in the next 20 years. You say, why 10%? Why 20 years? Let me give you a couple reasons. Number one, that number, depending on how you break it out, if it's, if it's just Chattanooga proper, that is roughly 19,000 people. If it's Hamilton County, that's like 57,000 people. That's 10%. You say, why 10%? Sociologists tell us that there's a, what they call tipping point, where when you get 10% of any group fully committed fully invested in a particular idea or action, that small, committed 10% can change the entire larger group. We've all seen that happen in a bad direction when it comes to our culture. I think it's time that the church went the other direction. You say, why 20 years? Why 20 years? Well, we believe this is the long game. It's not going to be next year, but we believe little by little. And in fact, right now, our leadership team is praying For the people we will have the opportunity to share the gospel with who are not yet even born. Do you understand that 20 years from now, there will be children that you are going to be a part of reaching who aren't even around right now? You say, well, Josh, that's huge. How do we do that? How do we do that? Well, we drive out the bad. We develop the good. Or maybe as our mission statement now says, it's simply this. Our mission is just to reach the next person for Jesus. See, our vision is the the city, but it begins with just the next person. In other words, it begins little by little. Do you have a next person? Is there someone in your life that you are talking to about the goodness of Jesus? Is there someone that God is putting on your heart? Maybe today for you, your little by little is not... Not to start doing something, but rather you don't know who that person is. So you begin to say, God, will you give me a vision? Who is the person? Who is my next person? Because I don't believe it's going to happen overnight. But over time, God is going to, through the work of his church, not just Clear Creek, but his church, he's going to save souls. And we're going to see a taking of the land. And I just want to ask you, I just want to ask you, are you ready for that? See, here's here's what I think I know about you. When your last day comes, you don't want to be laying in your bed and the only memories you have are what you accumulated or did for yourself. I think, I think I know you well enough and I bet even if I don't know you, I am going to bet it all that even you in this moment, what you want 
is to be reminded of the fact that for however many years God gave you, you took land and you didn't just get more stuff, but by God's power and your obedience, you helped save souls. So it's going to happen. It's going to happen little by little. What do you need to do today? For some in this room, your little by little step is you need to say yes to Jesus in baptism. You need to cross the Jordan and enter the story. For some, you've already entered and you have received the forgiveness of sins, but your next step is you need to begin to address the the Jerichos in your life, the strongholds. You need to ask God for his power to free you from those things. You're saved, but you need to be living saved. And maybe for others, you go, no, 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 my next step is I've just gotten so comfortable in Gilgal where we all gather and circle up and say, look how great God is. But it's time to take some land. You need to have a conversation with a friend. You need to say to that coworker, I'm a Christ follower. Can I tell you about my love for Jesus? What is your next step? Because as you do, little by little, God's going to do amazing things.